It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Welcome to Forward Nation Radio with me, David Leventhal. On today's show, my take on the state of the democratic race. And part one of my analysis of the issues raised in two Democratic debates since we last spoke. But first, the latest on the global pandemic, the coronavirus. As the time I record this, we're up to about 86,000 people known to be infected with the coronavirus. Almost 3,000, 2,933 deaths. We have seen the first transmissions in the United States and that now global experts are saying that the risk of a global contagion is, quote, very high, close quote, as it continues to make inroads throughout the world. But most importantly, of course, stock markets. Yes, it was not a good week for stock markets and for those of us who have money in the stock markets, but rest assured President Donald Trump, leader of the free world, sought to reassure the markets that everything was going to be okay. To which, of course, they replied by then continuing to tank even further. The President of the United States, always on top of putting politics aside for the sake of the planet, decided that this was an opportunity to make political points by blaming Democrats. Yes, that's right. It's not the coronavirus that's tanking the stock markets and economies around the world. It is, in fact, the Democratic primary race for the election, according to the president. According to the markets, by the way, not so much. Anyway, Donald Trump was saying some of these things while he was in India this past week, embarrassing the United Studies. That is us. Yes, in case you missed this, Donald Trump was representing the United States in India by, among other things, mispronouncing every name that he touched upon while he was there, including, among others, the name of the city he was in. Yes, it's so good to be represented abroad by someone who's so on top of things and and so well represents this country. As one of my students noted in class last week, maybe I'm being a little hard on Donald Trump. I mean, the guy can't pronounce traditional English words, how can we expect him to go to India and pronounce some of their names? Anyway, while he was there, U.S. US health officials have issued a warning, a warning about the coronavirus, talking about how bad this might be, Americans going out to buy gas masks. The president of the United States says, no problem at all. We got this under control. While his own health agencies we're undermining his words. Uh-oh, looks like some more heads are going to roll in the United States government. Looks like there are some more people in our government who continue to tell the truth and undermine our fearless leader. Uh, Donald Trump, we are reminded as the contagion spreads, we have been reminded about the extent to which he has absolutely devastated our readiness to respond to this crisis. We have been reminded that he, there has been an 80% cut in CDC resources to deal with global outbreaks. 
under Donald Trump, an 80% cut in CDC resources to deal with global outbreaks. He has shut down the National Security Council's Global Health Security Unit. Yes, this is the President of the United States keeping America safe, but, of course, making sure that he does it with absolutely no blowback on himself. Lest we be concerned about whatever is left of experts in our government and what they are warning us, have no fear. Donald Trump has put Mike Pence on the case. What's the matter? What's Jared doing this week? Jared must really be on the outs, taking a break from saving the world, you would think, to save the world. But no, he's put Mike Pence, our estimable vice president, on the case. You can imagine Mike Pence, of course, the plan in the works right now, of course, is to pray our way out of this crisis. If, of course, we decide that getting out of this crisis is a good idea at all. Because, after all, one could see our vice president responding to this by saying, Great! This is just the end of days I've been waiting for. Finally, Armageddon, the ascension. We Christians are all going to go to heaven. Isn't this great? You know, if we, if we rely on prayer to get us out of this, in a sense, we're putting it all up to God. And after all, we can't do any better than that. Yes, such is the state of preparedness in the United States of America to protect us from a global pandemic. We've, in order to circle our wagons, we've seen that this week, the president has also announced that all statements from scientists... All statements from so-called experts or experts within the United States government and without will need to go through the vice president's office first before they get released. Because after all, who can, who, who can filter, who can we trust better than Mike Pence taking direct orders, presumably from Donald Trump? This is just getting more and more and more Orwellian. Last week, I must admit, I was a little unfair. I talked about the GOP, the Trump Republican plan to combat the virus. I talked about Donald Trump having come out and said that warm weather is going to save us. Well, I, I got to admit, I was being a little bit unfair. It's time to talk a little bit more about Republican plans to combat global plan pandemics. Like, for instance, taking away health care from tens of millions of Americans. I mean, what better way to combat the coronavirus than to take away people's health care and make sure that they don't go to doctors if they start getting sick because you know then they could start getting doctors sick. You know what else the Republican plan is? To make sure that we do not do anything about guaranteeing paid sick leave to Americans who might actually get sick like people who get the coronavirus. So let's be clear that the Republican plans, as they've been for years in this country, are to take away people's health care and make sure they don't have sick leaves. Sick leave. Because what would you want more to combat the virus and to make sure that sick people don't go to the doctor, but go to work? Donald Trump's esteemed experts this week came out and told people that they should go check with their doctor and not panic. Does the federal government have plans to actually get 
tens of millions of Americans a doctor? That would be progress. So, of course, we know that's not on the agenda. Let's just remember that the Republican plan is to send people to work. Your sneezing waiter has not gotten checked out by a doctor. Don't worry. Nothing to worry about because, after all, God's on the case. You wonder as this continues to spread, as fear continues to spread in this country and without, will the incompetence of our government actually work to change one or two or three of four minds of Trump voters, people who are inclined to vote for Donald Trump? Is it possible, with all due respect to Ronald Reagan, that the nine most terrifying words in the English language are not going to be seen to be I'm from the government and I'm here to help? That maybe, in fact, Americans will decide that they want some government? They want some competent government? Speaking of competent government, of course, that brings us to the state of the race for the presidential nomination for the somewhat competent, at least, political party that we still have left. We've had two debates since I've spoken to you, debates that are absolutely dedicated to figuring out who among the Democrats is best positioned to beat Bernie Sanders and Mike Bloomberg. Well, okay, to beat Donald Trump as well, But it would seem from the debates this week that the real overriding question is who's going to beat Bernie Sanders and Mike Bloomberg? Well, I said last time I was going to talk about the debate, and I will, but we've also had something else intervening since our last show, and that was the latest caucus, the Nevada caucus. And considering the blowout victory for Bernie Sanders in the Nevada caucus, one has to wonder to what extent a lot of these debates have been rendered moot. The question now in front of all of us is, is Bernie Sanders stoppable? The $64,000 question, or maybe at this point we should update that, it should be a $64 trillion question, is, is that a bad thing? That Bernie Sanders has has the inside track for the Democratic nomination. This is the big overriding question, of course, in America right now. Should the Democrats nominate Bernie Sanders? You know, I'm going to get in a few minutes to addressing the, the question in more detail so our, our viewers, I think, can get a better understanding of some of the issues that were raised in the debates. But one of the questions that was raised, I think right at the end of the first debate, was do you think that whoever leads in the delegate count going into the convention, even if he or she does not have a majority, should that person get the nomination? Just so you know the backstory here, in case you're unfamiliar, it seems extremely likely at this point that Bernie Sanders is going to have the most delegates going into the convention. Obviously, by the time maybe you're listening to this, certainly by the time I talk to you next, we'll have had uh, two more big primary days, including Super Tuesday, where we'll get some more insight into that. But right now, it looks very likely that no one will be able to completely eat away his lead in the delicate count. And 
so it was interesting they asked that question, which of course was, should they just be giving this to Bernie, basically? No surprise that all of the candidates said, no, we have a procedure to have this ironed out at the convention until somebody gets a majority, except, of course, for Bernie Sanders, who said, yes, whoever's winning in the delegate count when people are actually voting should get the nod. Boy, this is a long time this is going to play out. I'm going to be talking about this, I'm sure, a whole lot before we're finally done with this. But anyway, on the plus side, if it is Bernie, uh, let's start with this. Isn't this what many conservatives have been saying that they want all these years? I'm speaking particularly about a lot of conservatives I've had conversations with who rail about the fact that there's nobody honest in politics. All politicians are scripted. All of them are basically just going through the motions and doing what they're told and looking at at polls to decide what to say, that nobody is actually being honest. Well, say what you want about Bernie Sanders. Isn't that what you're looking for? Isn't the guy honest? Here's the only guy in America in several decades who's pretty much willing to come out and say, yeah, I'm going to raise your taxes because I'm going to give you a lot of stuff for that. Of course, conservatives will, if they haven't already, be changing their tune on that one and deciding that it turns out that wasn't quite what they were asking for all along. That that was, may we say it, a bit of a pretext to vote for people who they knew that reasonable people were were not real proud of them for voting for. The other, other things about the Bernie question, if Bernie's the nominee, as I've been arguing on this show for a really long time, fundamentally, he's right. He's right on most of the major, if not all of the major issues that are being addressed as to what this country needs. I've argued for a long time my support for Elizabeth Warren. I think in large part because she's got mostly the same policies as Sanders with some minor, though not unimportant differences. And I just think that she is sort of a a better person to present the case will be more acceptable to the American public. But the bottom line is our healthcare system sucks and we need to do better. People in this country, working men and women, are being screwed. We have way too much consolidation of income, power, resources in the hands of the uber-wealthy in this country. And lots more, which we'll get to when I go over the specifics of of the questions in the debate. Democrats have been playing not to lose for so long, including in the 2016 election, where we lost. The question, of course, may be on the positive side, or the answer may be on the positive side to that question is, maybe we are at a point in this country where playing not to lose is not really the way to win. Historically speaking, except for 2016, I know it has been. That's why I've been reluctant to jump on the real liberal bandwagon. I've lived through Democratic presidential contenders being liberal and thus getting slaughtered at the polls, even though, again, they were right. But maybe these are different times. I've never expected a fascist, incompetent, lying criminal to get elected president of the United States, but we're already there. So maybe it's not so bad for the, Amer- for the Democratic Party to actually fight for what they believe in and what this country needs. Maybe those who learn from history, in fact, are doomed to repeat it.
when the circumstances have changed like they have now. Maybe vision matters. Maybe inspiring people matters and Bernie is right. Maybe it is just the center of this country who's lived through the experiences that I have that aren't really that aren't really on top of the times and how things have changed. Or maybe, as I'll talk again in a few moments, maybe it's just the center of this country, the establishment showing where their preferences really are. And it's not necessarily with people who are going to take some of their and their money's their friends' money away. Okay, on the minus side regarding Bernie Sanders and the big question, and it is a big minus side. Of course, the first question is, how many Republican swing voters will we alienate? So-called swing voters, so-called Republican moderates. Let's face it, how many suburban women is Bernie Sanders going to alienate and chase away, not only from voting for the Democrat for president, but vote but, but but scare away for voting for Democratic senatorial candidates and congressional candidates. I have no doubt that we are going to lose a lot of these people. People who may have voted Democratic in the midterm elections in 2018 because they are aware enough to realize the threat that we have in the White House, the absolute incompetent criminal that we have in the White House. The fact that Donald Trump, our current resident of the White House, may be destroying this country and destroying this planet. Scared a lot of people. On the other hand, taxes, taxes, taxes. And the bottom line is that many of these voters have demonstrated over the decades that they will be perfectly happy to let this country fail if that's what it takes. If the alternative is for them to see their taxes raised a little bit. I feel bad to lose these people. On the other hand, what is the future of a country where the so-called liberal party needs to appeal to people like this? How much will he alienate people, of course, also depends on how much about Bernie Sanders supporters is actually true. How militant are they? How much are they going to turn people off? There is a certain amount of militancy, as I've talked about, and the fact that you're generally right, that does tend to make one a little bit more militant fact that they do tend to be right on the issues and they see what they're up against. Of course, we have not seen Bernie Sanders be militant. He has been among all the Democratic candidates, in many respects, the most conciliatory, the one who is talking, understandably, about bringing the country together, all sides, all people. Maybe some of what we are reading about his supporters and what they're allegedly saying, remember, of course, Russia did this before in 2016, and they're certainly doing this again in 2020. Some of what we are seeing from Bernie supporters is probably not really from Bernie supporters, but from people whose English isn't too well. Also on the minus side, the establishment is really circling its wagons. We had a litany of establishment people, even even moderate Democratic people who've been energized by the threat that Bernie Sanders allegedly poses to this country. Talking about Michael Bloomberg. Yes, Thomas Friedman, among others. Every now and then I like to bring his op-eds up. Thomas Friedman had an op-ed right before the first debate where he talked about Michael Bloomberg. He supported Michael Bloomberg, talked about his candidacy and how we need that. Others have jumped on that bandwagon as well. Others have jumped on the Amy Klobuchar 
bandwagon. We need a moderate to emerge to beat Donald Trump. Well, we kind of had a couple of debates that Maybe at this point is making Thomas Friedman feel a little bit silly about his op-ed. Maybe like like a Twitter post. He wish he could just take that down. Because Michael Bloomberg didn't necessarily look like the Lone Ranger swooping in to save the Democratic Party in either of the debates. Certainly not the first one. But this argument from the establishment, Trump and the current Republican Party are an existential threat to civilization. So the Democrats need to choose a moderate. Of course, if they are, and I believe they are, an existential threat to civilization, ah, shouldn't we be able to beat Trump with someone who actually believes in what he says and actually fights for something like the people of this country? I get the sentiment, by the way, about choosing a moderate, choosing someone that appeals to Republicans. But I also have to ask that question, that whatever happened to the, the, the thing about not negotiating with terrorists? And yes, people who are threatening to vote for Donald Trump are kind of terrorists. Why are we appealing to these people as opposed to maybe beating them? Electability, we've seen during the week, appears to be in the eye of the beholder, which is to say it is in the eye, apparently, of what we want in the first place. Moderates are all saying that moderate, that a moderate Democrat is most electable. The left still continues to write and speak that, in fact, it is a leftist. It is a true liberal that is most electable. I don't know. And that, of course, is the big question upon which the the existence of civilization may very well be depending at this point. We are seeing people increasingly right about how Bernie Sanders is the left equivalent of Donald Trump. Usually the people who are writing that, of course, are Republicans. Bernie, of course, talks about socialism for the rich and rugged individual, individualism for everyone else. But maybe a lot of people in this country are kind of okay with the status quo of socialism for the rich. And maybe the people who are being forced into rugged individualism aren't aware enough of what's going on to realize what's at stake. In other words, a lot of these people are watching Fox News. Bernie is not the left equivalent of Donald Trump. Bernie tells the truth. Bernie cares about this country. Bernie cares about the people in it. The fact that we keep reading and and we give credence to all these Republicans primarily or at least borderline Republicans, who are actually writing that Bernie might be the left equivalent of Trump and and warning us about Armageddon. Ooh, sorry, Mike Pence. I think is another reminder and maybe a reckoning for the Democratic Party, and we liberals, for using never-Trump Republicans front and center to make our case about how bad Donald Trump is. We have given a platform for these so-called moderate Republicans, the Nicole Wallaces on MSNBC, who, remember, was instrumental in getting George W. Bush to be the president of the United States, the Steve Schmitz, the David Brookses in the New York Times, the Ross Duthats in the New York Times, and Brett Stevens, and et cetera, et cetera. David Brooks had an op-ed a few days ago 
Republican, never Trumper, apparently, not so much. David Brooks' op-ed pointed out that he was not sure if he would support Bernie Sanders over Donald Trump. Not sure if you would support someone who is so far to the left that his most important policy positions he's not even going to get enacted, but who believes in this country and is a serious human being. Not sure if you would support him over Donald Trump? With all due respect, go fuck yourself, David Brooks. If that's what you are and who you are, you deserve to be sent back to the doghouse where you belong, which is <coughs> firmly within the folds of your political party, not mine. You don't get to commandeer mine. Go fix yours. David Brooks talks in his article about Bernie Sanders' history with Russia and communism. That's a big thing. Oh my God, 40 or 50 years ago, Bernie Sanders took a honeymoon in Russia, went to Cuba, said good things about Fidel Castro. 40 or 50 years ago, the guy was fundamentally wrong about some issues regarding Russia and Cuba. Gave support for Russia and Cuba. Gave cover for their actions. Do you already see where we're going here? He's not sure if he could support that. He might instead go for the guy who's doing it right now. The guy who right now is supporting the interests of Russia. I know, not communist Russia, authoritarian Russia. Supporting the interests of Russia right now over the interests of the United States of America. Donald Trump. This false equivalence of Bernie Sanders with Donald Trump is, of course, just one of the many false equivalences that are being thrown around these days. Like, for instance, the fact that we have two political parties who are extremists. Mike Bloomberg, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, Joe Biden, etc. Anybody? Our political parties are not equivalent, nor will be the eventual candidates for those two political parties. Beware of false equivalences. We've got one political party in this country that at least has some interest in what's good for the country, whether or not you agree with their policy prescriptions. Anyway, the rallying of the anti-Bernie forces is going full speed ahead. But my favorite from the last week or so is this quote reported in the New York Times prominently. Bernie Sanders would, quote, would ruin our economy, close quote. Bernie Sanders would ruin our economy. So says Lloyd Blankfein. For those of you who are unfamiliar out there, Lloyd Blankfein is a, the guy who ruined our economy. Lloyd Blankfein was, is the ex-CEO of Goldman Sachs, the CEO of Goldman Sachs during the run-up to the financial crisis and during the financial crisis. In other words, the CEO of Goldman Sachs while it was ruining our economy. Is there some reason anybody on the planet would give the slightest shit what Lloyd Blank, Lloyd Blankfein, probably billionaire, certainly criminal, lying sack of shit, believes is good for our country? If you do, let me try to translate for you. What's good for this country 
will be to give me more. But anyway, let's get into the debates briefly. Let's start. We're going to have to break this up, I think, into two shows because we're going, we're going to run pretty long here. We've had two debates. If you missed the debates, don't feel bad. You will probably have a chance to see them again in Trump TV ads. Yes, there was a little bit of infighting for maybe the first couple of times in Democratic debates. It got a little bit nasty as the effort to stop Bernie and Bloomberg really picked up steam. Well, the plan to stop Bernie, of course, I've discussed up above. To paint him as too radical, we need someone in the middle, etc. That may well come back to haunt the Democratic Party. But anyway, the plan to stop Bloomberg was a little bit different. The plan to stop Bloomberg was actually to invite him to participate in a debate. Because the best way to stop Bloomberg appears to be to let him talk, but not to talk on edited TV advertisements, to let the American public get to know Michael Bloomberg a little bit better. Yeah, Thomas Friedman really did call that one. One of the things that struck me about both debates is how remarkably small Michael Bloomberg looked. And no, I'm not making a joke about his stature. He's short, in case you didn't know that. But my takeaway from, from, from both debates was just how remarkably small, insignificant, inconsequential Bloomberg seemed to be. You want a guy who's going to step up and command the stage? <coughs> he better do a hell of a lot better in future debates than he did over the last uh, over the last couple. What are the implications of the Democratic debate getting so much nastier? There are a lot of people who are concerned that the Democratic Party is going to kill itself. They're certainly giving Donald Trump a lot of sound bites to use in 2020. What are the implications? My expectation is that we are overstating the case here. That that we are worrying too much. Again, I don't want to make a false equivalence between the two parties, but let's just remember a little bit about what happened in 2016 with in the Republican primary and how that apparently didn't derail the Trump train. Do you remember in the 2016 presidential primaries when when Republicans weren't all complete Trump bitches? Yeah, this got nasty and the Democratic debates got nasty, but, you know, not so nasty that they were comparing their relative penis sizes. Nobody's dad, apparently, in a Democratic debate killed John F. Kennedy. Nobody's wife was stated to be ugly. Nobody was shown to be an absolute complete complete clown, as every single candidate on the on the stage of the Republican debates were shown to be. Unfortunately, of course, the parties are not the same. Democrats reach out to a larger base. Might mean more. On the other hand, there's a lot of time to come. And I will, again, mention Thomas Friedman, and this time in a positive way. Thomas Friedman had another op-ed this week, which I think was a real, uh, was a comeback. There was one before, where he talked about the importance of the Democratic Party unifying said that the Democratic Party could win with Bernie as its nominee as long as it brings everybody else on that stage and everybody who's been on the stage all across the political spectrum in the Republican Party into the big tent. I think he's right about that. 
I think that's an important point to make. The Democrats need to end this well, however it ends. And that, again, is a big difference between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. Of course, once we actually got to the debates, the very first question was literally and figuratively, can you stop Donald Trump? So, to some extent, the eye was still on the ball. I think to a large extent, the eye was still on the ball. Even the attacks on Bernie and Bloomberg were about who's going to be able to beat this lunatic we have running this country right now. I want to, before we leave today, I want to get into a little bit of the substance of the debates. And I want to start with a couple of the most offensive utterances in the debates. The, the most offensive utterances, that is, by someone other than a moderator, someone actually on the stage. And I'm going to start with Pete Buttigieg. His statement about health care, I trust the American people to decide. That is, I've talked about this before, but that is a remarkably offensive utterance in many, many respects. Let's start with the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren positions are not only right, they're actually generally popular. Most of the American public likes what they are proposing regarding health care. But of course, the average American voter, as much as we might trust the average American voter, is, we all know, including Pete Buttigieg, not informed enough to know who's representing their own interests, whose interests in policy will take a back seat to who can do the most name-calling, who can use the word socialist in the nastiest possible way. So we trust the American public, but, you know, just not necessarily so much. We trust the American public that goes out and buys big SUVs and pickup trucks in the face of climate change. We trust the American public to not buy products that are going to harm their families to not drink water that is harmful to them. This is a Republican line. You are stealing a Republican talking point to use in Democratic debate. I understand you're positioning yourself as a moderate, but maybe you should try to stay away from Republican talking points. Democrats are supposed to believe in government and believe in government to, yes, sometimes make decisions that the American public isn't informed enough to be able to make. Or otherwise doesn't have the power to be able to make. But of course, the, the, the most offensive thing about Pete's uh, utterance of, I trust the American people to decide, is that regarding health care, he's just factually wrong with the statement. And in fact, that is exactly what Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are proposing. That's what their proposals call for, trusting the American people to decide. As I've pointed out many, many times, the American people are not deciding on their health care right now. Why don't you come out, Mayor Pete, and say, I trust American employers to decide. Because that's who's deciding on our health care right now. In fact, when I make plans to go to the doctor or take my children to the doctor, the first thing I have to look at is, which doctors am I allowed to use? Which doctors do I need to be careful to stay away from because I'm going to get a huge bill that might bankrupt my family? I've got to choose the ones that my employer has said, it's okay for you to choose. 
under Bernie and Elizabeth's plan. You know which doctor and hospital I would choose? Whichever effing one I want. That's which one I would choose. It is, in fact, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren who are proposing health care choice for the American public. It is our employer-based health care system, excuse me, right now that is preventing American consumers from deciding. Anyway, the, the second offensive utterance that I'd like to address briefly in the debate belongs to Michael Bloomberg. When it was pointed out how much money he had, and the question was asked, do you think you should have as much money as you have? I understand this is putting him in a very difficult position, but here's my suggestion. Are you freaking kidding me? Nobody should have anywhere near the kind of money and power that Mike Bloomberg has. Nobody in America should have so much money that they have a decent chance to buy themselves a presidential election. They should have to appeal to other people with a lot of money to buy their presidential. No, 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 I don't think that either. Nobody should have enough money to buy presidential elections for themselves or for anybody else. It is absurd that we would even have to have this conversation. That people should have tens of billions of dollars in a country in which, I again remind you, more than one-fifth of American children are living below the poverty line. Hundreds of thousands of Americans are homeless. Give me a break that Michael Bloomberg should have that kind of money. But that's the question. His response was, I worked hard for it. And this is offensive, of course, because it continues to advance the idea that people in this country get rich because they work harder than the rest of us. Gee, who's been advancing that that idea for my life? Oh, yeah, Republicans. Another Republican on the stage at the Democratic convention, uh, debate, rather, speaking Republican talking points. I worked hard for it. You know who works hard for it? Elderly health care aides. The ones who took care of my grandmother before she died who work two full-time jobs to try to make ends meet. They work pretty hard too, Mike. Maybe even harder than you did. But they didn't choose to represent the interests of big money. This is a very successful Republican refrain. I had a couple of students in class this week say, you know, I have a father or grandfather or whatever, who said to me when I talk about some of the things we talk about in class, says, well, I struggled hard and I worked hard to make my money. I don't think it should be taken away and given to other people. I talked about how that is, that is a fundamental misunderstanding of how our economy works and why people need help in America today. It is the rare American who needs help because he or she doesn't want to work. Most Americans are working damn hard and still not making ends meet. Some people have chosen to focus all of their energies on making money. And they make money. That is not something that we need to, nor should we be rewarding in this country. The big GOP lie. Ronald Reagan with his welfare queens. Which is just bullshit. That we're supposed to believe that we could be selfish and not 
and not lend a helping hand to help other people follow us up the ladder just the way we have been given the opportunity to get up the ladder through things like education, functioning government, functioning civil society. You make up lazy, good-for-nothing people who just want handouts, and you give people an excuse for being selfish. In other words, you give people a reason to stay with the Republican Party, to vote Republican so that they could have a little bit more and not be concerned about the damage that that is doing to your fellow citizens. In other words, it gives people reason and ability to be pricks and not have to look in the mirror and see a prick looking back at them. Anyway, I've rambled on enough for today's show. I'll come back to you very soon with my take on the issues that were raised in the Democratic debates of the past week or so. Please check back with us soon. I hope to get that up within a few days. Until then, be well. Lots to happen. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 